But before we get to that, what is happening, especially on the east coast of the United States, with Celeste Katzmaston in Boston? Celeste, a very good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. Now, how are things in Boston? Because we've seen the weird and eerie uh, New York City, for example, and other cities, uh, you know, smoke filled with orange, you know, the orange light of the sun. I mean, it, very reminiscent to what has happened in Australia, in some cities, especially when there are terrible bushfires. But this is a long way away. This is in Canada, these bushfires. And uh, firstly, is what's it like in Boston? It is definitely not as bad as the pictures that you're seeing of New York City, but there is a difference. I think that there is a haze. It's been a bit cloudy, but uh, I can tell you that we have an air quality meter in our house and we have definitely seen it, uh, definitely have seen it spiking, not with the good stuff, that there is definitely something going on. It isn't sort of this, this, uh, apocalyptic uh, orange haze that we're seeing here, but something is definitely going on. The smoke from those wildfires is definitely reaching New England. So some Australian firefighters are over there trying to help out. And of course, when we have terrible bushfires here, we get uh, fireys from uh, Canada and the US and various other countries as well coming to help us. It's an international, I was going to say brotherhood, but I'm sure it's sisterhood as well of firefighters. Um, I don't think I know anyone with an air quality meter in their house. Why have you got one? It's just something, to be honest with you, my husband loves smart home technology. He loves all the you know thermostats that you can adjust from your phone and uh, being able to talk to people uh, at the door through your, you know, through your phone and stuff like that. So he's really sort of a, a, a tech hobbyist. He's a, a uh, computer scientist by profession, a developer by profession. Um, so everything that has to do with that kind of home engineering is is really fun for him. But when you do see these kinds of spikes, it's pretty scary. And there actually have been uh, warnings even here in, in New England where you don't see that big serious orange haze that you're seeing in New York or maybe in Washington. There have been alerts telling people not to go outside if they don't have to, uh, particularly if their health is vulnerable, to not do heavy exercise, to stay indoors if they can. Yes. Because it's terrible. I mean, there was reports of a, a, a well, firstly, they cancelled a Yankees match. Um, and then there was a, a play on Broadway that was stopped because the leading actress couldn't breathe. It really is. And for people who have, uh, you know, lung sensitivities, maybe asthma, emphysema, COPD, whatever it may be, uh, definitely you can feel it. I, I myself actually am an asthmatic and I have been feeling a difference uh, in the last few days. Uh, hopefully it will pass. It, it comes and goes, though, as the weather changes, it goes away. And then as uh, storms are moving through, uh, it comes back. So from something that um, you know makes you feel ill and you hope that will pass in a couple of days, let's turn to uh, the political scene in the United States. <laughs> so a lot of Republicans are jumping into the race and a lot of them take the opportunity to be critical of the former president, Donald Trump. Now, Chris Christie is one of them. Mike Pence is another one. We'll get to Mike Pence in a second. But Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey... I mean, he was on, yeah, he thought he was on the shortlist to be vice president. He was on the transition team. He was running it before Trump just said, see you later. He had the opportunity on many, multiple occasions to be critical of the president, and he has chosen to do it 
now. Is this why do you reckon that might be? Not just for him, but for other Republicans in the race. Do they feel that maybe there is a kind of a turn against Trump, and now they they've got some cover to be critical of him? I think there's there's probably a couple of things at play. Look, at some point, it was politically very expedient to be on the sort of team Trump. He was wildly popular. He really had dominated the, the Republican field. People had taken their best swing at him and gotten utterly destroyed. I think we all remember people like Lindsey Graham uh, having come out very strongly against Trump. And then the next thing you know, he's he's putting his phone in a blender and uh, sort of getting getting on the team. But um, to to look back, though, that was at a time when Trump had pretty much very little to no political history, had no track record. And now people are seeing an opportunity where they can kind of play the field. They can sort of take the good things that Trump did or the things that people liked about Trump himself and or the Trump era and use those things to sort of get some traction against Joe Biden to put Joe Biden down. But, uh, you know, I think they're they're taking sort of a wait and see approach. And, and it's easier now to be on the fence against Trump. He's still polling far, far beyond any of his competitors or, uh, you know, supposed competitors. But uh, I think that people people are trying to pick and choose what they want out of this sort of the Trump phenomenon at this point. So Mike Pence, Trump's vice president, he was yeah, he's in the race now, which was always predicted, and and he's he's jumped in. He was interviewed about about Trump and about you know January sixth and all this sort of thing. He just seemed to me like he was unable to come up with an answer as to whether or not Trump was above the law or had to be subject to the same laws as everyone else. He seemed to try and give an answer which pleased everyone and in the end pleased nobody. Right. And again, that's that's a very good example of somebody trying to essentially not uh, to take a stand on, on things that they didn't personally like about Trump, but not alienate people who did like Trump or liked certain things about Trump or his policies. And those might be two different things. People might like Trump as a a figure, uh, as a political figure, but they may not like everything that he did or everything that he stood for, whether that's uh, putting people on the Supreme Court who are against uh, abortion rights or or uh, economic policies or immigration policies or, you know, behavior towards women, all these kinds of things. But I would say that well, first of all, the you know, if Mike Pence is having a problem answering the question, is Donald Trump above the law? Let me help him out. No, Donald Trump is not above the law. Nobody is above the law. But Pence is trying to make an argument uh, that Donald Trump is unfit to be president, but he's largely predicating that argument upon his behavior right at the end of his term, and of course the January sixth insurrection at which Mike Pence's life was in fact, uh, you know threatened or, you know, there was yeah. there was threats of bodily harm to him. But the short answer is uh, everybody's trying to have it both ways. They're trying to not alienate Trump voters or put him down too hard, but they're trying to make an argument for themselves. And I think that Mike Pence uh, might certainly appeal to people who are actually truly, truly conservative, which I think Donald Trump demonstrably has not always been or was was very late to that game and sort of a, a partial participant in, in true conservatism. But at the same time, Pence is, is walking a fine line because he's making an argument against an administration that he was the second in command of 
you know how do you how do you play that game very difficult yeah look it is always difficult if you're the vice president because you want to take credit for all the things that people liked but distance yourself from the things that people don't like about a previous administration so with the supreme court is there any evidence whatsoever that pence had any influence on suggesting the three people who were eventually appointed to the Supreme Court? You know, it's 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 difficult to say how much counsel Donald Trump uh, actually took from Mike Pence. I think that, uh, as always, and I don't think this is limited to Donald Trump, certainly, but uh, choosing a vice president is a political calculation. You want somebody who's going to appeal to a certain section of the electorate or a certain part of the country. This is at least historically, or is going to balance the ticket in some other way without a uh, outshining you or you know stealing the uh, the spotlight from you, and b not going rogue and doing what they want to do and undermining your policies or or your authority. So there's no question you know, at least for me, looking back about why Donald Trump chose Mike Pence, but how much of a role he actually had in the administration, uh, you know, as always with most vice presidents, uh, you know, didn't didn't seem to be a dominating force in, in the uh, the course of that of that part of our history. Interestingly, though, of course, Joe Biden, he never wanted to distance himself from Barack Obama. He was always there saying, look, I was the first voice that he listened to. I was the last piece of advice that I, you know, that he was given came from me. I was in the room for those big decisions. You know, he he wants, well, he wanted to be associated with the Obama administration and that paid off for him, didn't it? Right. I mean, because people, you know, people generally had positive views of Obama because he made history in in lots of different ways. Now, has he agreed with every single thing Obama has ever said or done? No, obviously not. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, there were not a lot of uh, Barack Obama supporters, as far as I can recall, uh, running around the Capitol saying, hang Joe Biden. Uh, whereas uh, certainly there were Trump supporters outside the U.S. Capitol saying, hang Mike Pence. So, you know, it's a little bit hard uh, to to compare the two. There was there was not this sort of explosive moment or collapse of no. their relationship. No, because Barack Obama could quite right. Well, not quite rightly. It's, it's unconstitutional. But he could have said to Joe Biden, who was vice president, do not certify the election of Donald Trump. But he didn't do that. It would never have occurred to him and it wouldn't have occurred to Biden. But when Trump was in that position four years later, he was quite happy to tell Mike Pence not to certify the election. And now Pence is making a big deal out of the fact that he listened to the Constitution, not to the president, as if that's some noble gesture when it was, in fact, just something he should have done in the first place anyway. Right. And look, I mean, I think that that Mike Pence, it would have been it would have been beyond shocking and terrifying for Americans and for everybody else if Mike Pence had said, actually, you know what? Can I should I do that? Hmm, let me think about it. I mean, yeah. I, I don't I don't see that that was. And look, you know, as always, and when we talk about Donald Trump, this comes up a lot. I mean, who knows if Trump really even thought that Mike Pence could do that, but it was terribly convenient for him to say, well, I would still be president or I still could be president if only Mike Pence had gotten it together. Uh, you know, whether he believed Mike Pence actually had that power or not, whether his advisors told him that Mike Pence actually had that power or not is sort of irrelevant because, I mean, just 
the whole country is is predicated upon the peaceful transfer of power in accordance with free and fair elections, which is what we have, and which is what ultimately did happen. But uh, again, I'm not going to get into a sort of trying to Trump explain anything. Yeah, but I look if you when you see Mike Pence, would you just pass along a message from the rest of the world? He was talking about oh, America is a beacon of beacon of democracy and the rule of law. All due respect to Mike. There are a lot of countries in the world that have a much better legal system than the United States, and they don't have legal circuses like we have seen with many big trials in the U.S. So, you know, the idea that Mike Pence lectures the rest of the world about how great American democracy and rule of law is, most of the rest of the world takes that with a massive grain of salt. We've got perfectly good systems of our own that sometimes I think work a lot better than uh, the American ones. But anyway, uh, if no one is above the law, uh, Donald Trump is about to get hit with another legal case. Right. So this this is something that's shaping up right now. And this is uh, uh, an ongoing investigation about uh, classified documents that the former president took away with him to his home when he left office. And then um, the apparent uh, efforts to conceal or to not return those documents when when they were these you know, missing documents were discovered and he was asked for them and so on. So now there's a sort of a special prosecutor that's been assigned in this case to investigate this. And um, apparently the latest development is that uh, the former president has received what's called a target letter uh, that um, notifies him that he is involved in a criminal investigation, that he is, is the subject of a criminal investigation. And so uh, we're, we're seeing what's going to unroll from there. But again, and I think you and I have, have talked about this as well, is even if that turns out to be the case or the outcome, what is the outcome of that case, uh, there doesn't seem to be any provision in our constitution that would prevent uh, the former president from trying to hold public office again. Um, well, actually, there are there are certain things. I think if you know treason would be you know probably up there. I'm not the I'm not the constitutional lawyer here, but um, uh, I think you and I have discussed the fact that no matter what anybody says, uh, Donald Trump has said or done, or what he's actually said or done, there are some people that would vote for him anyway. I think the interesting thing there is also going to be. If he does run, and I mean he is running, there's no doubt about that, then who's going to vote for him when he's under indictment perhaps or he's going to appear in court on, um, I mean he's already appeared in court on that sexual assault charge. Um, there's the January 6th, there's the um, attempt to over, uh, overturn the uh, results of the Georgia um, election. There's, you know, these various other things as well. I mean, he's he's either facing or has been charged with a whole raft of things. He may be convicted of one of them. Who knows? Are people still going to vote for somebody who is, whom, I don't think he's ever going to go to jail. I don't think it's going to happen. But has been convicted of crimes? Yeah, probably. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, yeah, I mean, it's happened in, in other places in the United States. It's happened where people uh, are convicted of something where they might even uh, go away to prison or have some sort of, uh, you know, penalty imposed upon them. And then they stage a comeback. 
it's it might be a little bit different when the investigation is active or when the the conviction or the ruling uh, in a civil case uh, is is very very fresh. But people do certainly try to stage comebacks, and I've covered campaigns of people who have tried to do that, and they are certainly able to convince a lot of people, if not enough people, that they have either uh, learned their lesson, that they have paid their due to society, that they were uh, wrongly uh, prosecuted, uh, whatever whatever it may be, that they took a, a plea deal just to avoid some other harm to themselves or someone else. People do make comebacks all the time. Americans like comeback stories. They don't always work, but Americans like them. Yeah, but this is not necessarily a comeback. This is you're still down you're in jail right right you know, like that's the you know the fresh the freshness argument it's one thing if if somebody goes away for a while gets in trouble goes away for a while and then tries to to stage some sort of uh, redemption campaign mm. this is this is ongoing this is at the moment but an answer to your question would people vote for somebody like that if it was donald trump specifically yeah yeah they would extraordinary all righty uh celeste castmaston is our guest in boston uh, CNN, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to know about how influential CNN still is. I, you know, any influence they might have had, I think, may have ebbed away, re- uh, you know, in the last few years, maybe because of Trump. I don't know. Um, you hear a lot more about Fox News. You don't really hear anywhere near as much about CNN. Um But there's been a kind of a change at the top of CNN. Are they, why has this happened? And what are they hoping to achieve? Yeah, CNN has been going through a lot of a lot of changes. I guess turmoil is a is a fair thing to say. They've lost some of their uh, headlining uh, figures, uh, you know, major anchors that have either left or gotten pushed out. More to the point, for a variety of reasons, Chris Cuomo is left, Don Lemon is left. You know, some of these other people that might be familiar to you, but the chairman and CEO, relatively new. Uh, Chris Licht has uh, been pushed out now. And this was part of a sort of an over overarching attempt to remake CNN, to rebrand or to rebuild CNN. Um, and uh, obviously they've hit some speed bumps along the way. I mean, CNN has been very influential in the United States with big stories, big uh, viewership, big ticket um, hosts and, and uh, reporters and so on. Um, but they've sort of, I guess, bobbled along the way, and there's been a lot of uh, discomfort not only among viewers but along uh, among the ranks of um, CNN journalists, and um, it's all just come to a head very recently. Interestingly enough, uh, a lot of people are pointing to this expansive, like 15,000-word profile of uh, this fellow Chris Licht in the Atlantic that really exposed a lot of of what was going on, had some very unguarded moments and sort of um, also included interviews with like 100 people who worked at CNN that just said they were sort of confused and worried and disappointed and they felt the place was rudderless. I think overall, they were trying to present this as uh, CNN was going to not be as uh, I don't I don't want to say progressive or sort of left leaning, but was going to give Republicans and everybody everybody a fair shake. But uh, you know that that's proven sort of 
difficult to convince people of uh, and maintain stability and growth at the network, which is what they need. This is not to say, of course, that Fox News has certainly uh, not had its own issues, its own turbulence. You know, you've seen Tucker Carlson and those guys being uh, being 86 from that uh, from that network. It's it's a a crazy time in American media, to be honest. You know, the thing is about Fox, it's so far to the right that any anything like CNN or MSNBC that is in vaguely in the middle is seen as being of the far left. Right. And, you know, to, to be honest with you, Fox has been very dominant, had very large viewership among um, center right to you know far right people. But at the same time, there are a, a number of news uh, outlets that are way further to the right. Than yes, indeed. Fox, uh, you have, you know, this sort of one America type, places yeah. and you know daily wire all these kinds of things and i'm not going to run through the whole list but you know relatively speaking fox news was kind of mainstream certainly more on the conservative side particularly in their their uh, opinion opinion type programming late night you know programming sure. primetime stuff but they they are not by any means the furthest right uh no. talking heads out there in the united states all righty and finally this morning you know they want people to come back to work. Obviously, for you know more than three years of the pandemic now, um, a lot of people work from home. That it doesn't really happen here at the ABC too much. Although I'm sure plenty of people still are working at home, but just you see a lot more people in the office. But you know these offices were empty for a long time, uh, and places like Google they want people to come back. Right. So this is a conversation that we've been having for a while now, but now it's really sort of stepping up. At first, they were telling everyone to work remotely or people who could to work remotely because of the pandemic. Then we came out of that and people have gone to this hybrid system of working some days in the office, perhaps, or some days at home. But still, a lot of people have gotten used to a lifestyle uh, of working at home, being more in command of their own time, not commuting, not having that like $15 salad for lunch at their desks and people want that lifestyle. And some of these companies are saying like, okay, we understand that, but come back, actually come back. And if you don't spend a requisite number of days in the office, we're going to include that in your uh, performance assessments. Some places are trying to uh, bribe people back saying, we'll donate money to charity uh, if you spend a certain number of days in the office. And this has become a big deal, not only for these companies, but be- for the places where they are located. Mm. Uh, there are huge swaths of major cities and, yep. and big towns in the United States that rely on these businesses and commuters that are just, you know, gasping for air economically because nobody's around anymore. Yeah, but I mean, it just shows things up. This is what I find amusing in a way is that people were constantly told you've got to come into the office you've got to be here from eight till five or whatever and then all of a sudden it became obvious that they didn't need to do that so why are you making me do this and i don't blame it if people want to work from home it's much easier the people are nicer and you probably have to get a chance to sleep in and uh, get home you know you've got that commute which might be one minute rather than an hour or more yeah, I know. It's just, One of the things about COVID is just we have no idea yet how this has changed our society. And this is going to be one of those things. And, you know, how long it ever takes to get back to it, I don't know. But uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Watching right. very with uh, great interest. 
Celeste, thank you very much, as always. Thank you, and we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. That is Celeste Katzmaston in Boston. Whew, all right.